podcast about the overlooked, forgotten, and underground tales of San Francisco. This is Sorted SF. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode three of season two of Sorted SF. I'm joined today by my first high school friend, Shannon. It's crazy. We've known each other for literally half of our lives. And uh, Shannon, will you just tell us a little bit about yourself? You recently left the city. How are you feeling about that? Hi. It's been a couple months. Hi. Hi. How's it going, friend? It's going so good. Um, yes. Okay. Recently just left San Francisco after living here my entire life. Wow. And I now live in Aptos, California, which is below Santa Cruz, California. And it's a beautiful, low-key, chilling, small town. Yeah. And I'm loving it. Good. I'm loving it. Good, good. Um, can you tell us just like, who are you? What's your vibe? Tell, tell me about it. Who am I? Who, who are you? Let's get into therapy. <clears throat> well, I am me. <laughs> Okay, no, no. Um, yeah, uh, like I said, born, born and raised yeah. here in San Francisco. Um, grew up playing basketball and a lot of sports. So I'm a very sports. sporty girl. You're so sporty and so um, tall. Yes, I'm very tall. Wearing shoes, I'm like six feet tall. So that's yeah. pretty tall for a girl. On Tinder, you're six one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say about me because you you know about know, me so much, I but I have to tell all these people about me. Um, I work in cannabis now, and I've always wanted to do that for yeah since I was like 15 years old, yeah. so the last 15 years. You do love weed. And yeah, weed, healing, being athletic, yeah. yeah, holisticness. I love have it. a stomach ulcer, and I healed myself right. from it. Yeah, <laughs> um, what do. else? Like No, that's, that's great. That's me. That's you, and it's perfect. You're perfect. Um, so we're recording on January first 2023 so i have to obviously ask like do you have any resolutions you know this is you're the second person to ask me only and i've been thinking and i just like i think i'm just gonna do me more i feel like i've been catering to a lot of other people and like always i'm doing things for others and this is gonna be the year for myself and i think pushing my ideas and making things come to vision I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's good. No, that's like one of mine is <clears throat> to like protect my peace more. Mm-hmm. And just like if something doesn't serve me, like I can healthily cut it out without being, you know, rude, obviously. Yeah. Um, but so I think that's something I want to work towards as well as like just, yeah, doing me more. Like, yeah. oh, I want to do something. Like I want to go horseback riding. Let's yes. fucking go horseback riding. Yes, let's go horseback riding. Oh, I, I love that. horses. Let's go to. That's something about me. I grew up r- riding horses yes. in Golden Gate Park. Yes, see? Yeah, and the stables are gone. The let's bring them back. Are, let's bring them back. There's <laughs> you have the, millions there's of dollars. The new corral um, on Chain of Lakes. Yes, 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 yes. Let's go. Or little, we go to the place in Daly City on Skyline next yeah, to the OC. Olympic Club. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. I grew up like going there. That's where I first cantered on the beach. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I want to ride a horse on a beach. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. Let's do it. All right. It's only like 79 bucks. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. Five hours. Not two hours, five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for being here. I'm really excited for the story. Um, 
And so you've heard the name of this person. You know his legacy. But do you know about the life of Bill Graham? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I don't. I couldn't tell you one fact about All right, Bill Graham, well, to be honest. Buckle the fuck in. Um, so sources for this episode include Wikipedia, the SF Chronicle, the SFist, and the Bill Graham Foundation website. So we're going to start with his upbringing and trigger warning. It's really fucking sad. Okay. I'm ready. It's like I, I got really emotional writing this because like it was really it's trigger warning. <clears throat> so Bill Graham, who was born Wolf Wolodia Grandjoncha. Uh, he was born in 1931 in Berlin. His nickname growing up is was Wolfgang. Um, he was the youngest of six in a lower middle class Jewish family. And unfortunately, two days after he was born, his father died. Um, and so as Nazism takes hold in Germany and Hitler orders the destruction of all Jewish businesses, Wolfgang's mother placed him, he's 10, and his sister Tanya in an orphanage <gasps> in an attempt to protect them from the Nazis. Uh-huh. And the orphanage, so as like Hitler's really ramping up, he's being a dick. And the orphanage, and this I guess like kind of happened a lot, not a lot, but this isn't unheard of. The orphanage arranged an exchange before the Holocaust began to trade Christian French orphans for Jewish German orphans. So for this reason, Wolfgang and his sister were moved to France to live in a French orphanage. And once France fell to the Nazis, Graham and his sister were some of the chosen few to be shipped out of France to America. But in order to do that, like, they barely ate and they walked fucking across France. Like, with the, like, um, Red Cross or, like, some uh-huh. aid group like that. So they like literally like walked across France trying to escape the Nazis. Wow. And uh, so then they finally made it to Lyon where Tanya was weakened by the journey, developed pneumonia. So his sister developed pneumonia and the Red Cross worker told Wolfgang that she wouldn't be able to like continue on. And she'd need to stay behind in hospital. But as soon as she was better, she'd join him in America but of course, he never saw her again, and it was assumed she died in a French hospital, mm. which just like broke my heart because this poor little girl, alone, already like orphaned, mm-hmm. dying alone in a fucking French hospital. Allegedly, yeah, I don't know. So sad. Um, and then their mother was murdered in Auschwitz. Gotta love it. So this fucked. is terrible. Yeah, it's it's terrible. So from Lyon, uh, Wolfgang and the other children walked to another French town. They spent, and then they went to Spain, and they spent two months in a convent in Madrid before moving to Lisbon, where they were put on an ocean liner that docked in Casablanca and Dakar before taking a 19-day journey across the Atlantic, dodging fucking German boats. Nazi boats. Awful. Sleeping on the deck, Wolfgang survived on cookies and oranges. Sleeping on the fucking deck of a boat. He's 10. Mm -mm. He's 10. 
So he was wow. suffering from malnutrition and rickets. Uh, Wolfgang arrived in New York, uh, September of 1941. His only possessions were his yarmulke, a prayer book, and some photographs of his parents and sisters. Of the 64 children who left from that orphanage in France three months earlier, only 11 made it to America out of 64 fucking kids. This is not a nice story. No, no. So he was in the Bronx. He was placed in a Bronx orphanage and potential foster parents would visit and determine what child they wanted. So every weekend, Wolfgang would tidy his bed and watch these American families come through and judge whether or not they wanted him. And again, he doesn't know English. So he's just watching these American families talk in a language he doesn't understand, deciding that he's not lovable and that they don't want him. And he's, again, he's 11 at this point. He's a baby. Just a baby. And this lasted nine weeks, and he was the last of 11. Of the 11 who made it, he was the last one to be chosen. And uh, so he finally did end up being chosen by a family whose son was Wolfgang's age and learning French, which Wolfgang was fluent in. He knew German mm-hmm. and French. Um, and then ironically, Wolfgang, when he did learn English, was taunted for being a Nazi due to his German accent. This poor kid who's Jewish mother died in Auschwitz was made fun of for being a Nazi. So he eventually perfected a perfect New York accent. Oh my God. He graduated high school and college and then in 1951 was drafted into the Korean fucking war. Uh, no. He discovered that no one could really pronounce his last name, Grud. Jonka, which I also can't pronounce properly, so he changed his name to Bill Graham. <laughs> According to him, he found the name Graham in a phone book, and the name literally like didn't mean anything anything to him. Like it wasn't like I like this author or mm-hmm. I like this artist. No, he just wanted something more American. So in Korea, he was awarded Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. After the war, he worked as a maitre d and poker dealer at a fancy resort in upstate New York. While there, he even led the charge in unionizing the dining room staff, which is... That's great. Love it. Love him. We love the unions. So Graham goes back to New York City, and he starts driving a cab and really has no idea what he wants to do. He repeatedly hitchhikes across the country and back. And back. And back. (laughs) And decides he wants to be an actor in New York City. So he studies acting. He gets cast in a few small roles but eventually ends up in California, this time in San Francisco, managing the San Francisco Mine Troupe. Wow. Yeah. And this job of his, managing a mime troupe, is what ends up shaping the rest of his life. Uh-huh. So, I can see <clears throat> this. Now. Yeah. now it all is making sense. Here we go. So a little bit about the SF Mime Troupe backstory. Um, this mine troupe was big on like raunchy political and satirical humor they had a deal with sf reckon parks that they could perform their shows in the public parks but their scripts needed to be approved by the rex and park people the city was always making script changes but the troupe would ignore these requests so for three years the troupe performed their original scripts without incident however 
the summer of 1956, they had an especially raunch- raunchy show. And after three performances, the city canceled their park permits for the remaining shows. So never going down without a fight. The troupe decided they'd do one last performance in Lafayette Park in Pack Heights. Bless you. Fully knowing they would probably be arrested because they like their permit got canceled. Mm-hmm. So this is where Graham really comes into play. Knowing that the troupe would cause a scene, Graham actually promoted this performance as a confrontation. Like he spread flyers throughout downtown and alerted the press that this would be like the show to catch. So sure enough, when the performance came, a thousand people showed up in Lafayette Park just to see the show and the troupe was arrested. So Graham, for this next stunt as manager, organized a benefit concert where all the proceeds would go to the legal fees of the troop members. Oh. He brought a new band called the Jefferson Airplanes, mm-hmm. and the benefit raised the equivalent of $30,000 in today's money. He realized he could make a lot more money doing this kind of thing than managing a community theater group. So he left the mime troupe. Uh, <laughs> It's a little after this that Graham began producing and promoting shows with Chet Helms of the Family Dog Collective at the Fillmore. The Fillmore at the time, uh, because of the neighborhood, it was like a it was a black club, and this rock music of the '60s wasn't usually played there. But Graham worked hand in hand with the black owner Charles Sullivan to secure a dance permit, like they already had a permit at the Fillmore. But, like, I guess it can be... For, like, live music or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it can be kind of, like, passed along. Like, basically, Charles Sullivan, the owner of the Fillmore, was like, yes, you can do your shows here. Like, I'll give you my permit or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. permission. Yeah. Yeah. So he was using Sullivan's dance permit to make do, but wanted his own, so he wouldn't, like... Mm. He wanted his own. It's like an event permit, maybe, back in the day. right. Yeah. Exactly. So with Sullivan on his side, he kept fighting for a permit of his own. And after ages of fighting in 1966, the Chronicle actually read a story about this fight. And after he was able to secure his own permit. And Graham was actually really revolutionary. Like, again, this was psychedelic, the time of psychedelic rock and shit. And so he was asking these psych rock bands who they wanted to see. And Graham began booking black artists who had never played for white audiences before. Very radical. Yeah. Oh, my God. Absolutely. So when he booked Otis Redding, uh, he performed at the Fillmore. Janis Joplin arrived at three in the afternoon so that she could be front row because she wanted to see him so badly. Super, super dope. Right? Wow. Um, and so his his bookings introduced so many people to like the black stars of the time, including B.B. King and Muddy Waters. Um, so after this, Graham kind of hit a stride. He brought the Doors and Jimi Hendrix to San Francisco for the first time. He began booking English bands who had never performed on the West Coast. He booked The Who and Cream. And he fucking discovered Carlos Santana. Who what? He, yeah, who he then got to play at Woodstock. My mind is fucking blown. I right know. Now. Like, who is this guy? 
insane. I can't believe we've, I've never looked this up before. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things we forget about. And that's like kind of the whole point of this podcast. Just like, who are these names that we just constantly see that mm-hmm. we've just kind of accepted as truth or fact or whatever? But who the fuck are they? Right. And this is fucking Bill Graham. This is great. We're unpacking a lot. Absolutely. So Graham's obviously super busy at this time. And he ends up opening Fillmore East in New York City, Mm. which drove him nuts because he was literally commuting every week to and from New York City. Savage. Savage. (laughs) Getting that bag. (laughs) (laughs) He began putting on shows at this place called The Winterland. Winterland, Winterland. Oh, yeah. I've which heard is on of this Post place. and Steiner. Yeah. I have a lot of older cousins who tell me about all these shows that they've yeah. gone to at all these old theaters that don't exist anymore. Exactly. So it's super important that we preserve the rest of them Absolute, that are around. Abso- okay, sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, so Winterland was a 5,000 seat ice skating arena that was at the time the largest venue in which rock concert had ever been like regularly presented um so he kind of ran out of steam though and quit running these venues and after a little bit of time went back to promoting okay okay so he goes back to being the promoter that's the fun stuff absolutely because he then presents the rolling stones (laughs) at two shows in sf as well as la long beach san diego and tucson He's like the promoter for their 1972 tour of America. And then that like begins his association with the world's greatest rock and roll band, you know, Rolling Stones. A year later, Graham put on the first in what became a hugely popular series of one day outdoor festivals known as Day on the Green, at which Led Zeppelin, the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, the Grateful Dead and the Who all on one fucking bill, played Legendary. more than 50,000 people <sighs> in Oakland, at the Oakland Stadium. To be alive during this, can you imagine? And like our parents' I know. age. Like, I wonder, like, my dad listened to Jefferson Airplane yeah, and all that. Love yeah. that. Oh, my God. We'll have to, like, what, what were our parents doing at this time? Exactly. I guess my mom was probably like, oh, this is 74. She was a teenager. They knew about College. this. Or yeah, call it maybe college, maybe high 64, school. 64, 75. Yeah, maybe college. Uh-huh. No, my parents got at married least in like high 79, school. So. At least high school. <laughs> I think they're. They knew what was going on. Yeah, they were cognizant. We can't do that <laughs> right now. Uh, so in 1974, Graham produced landmark arena rock tours by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, George Harrison, and Bob Dylan. A year later, Graham helped create the incredibly lucrative rock merchandising industry by funding Winterland Productions, which was the first purveyor of T-shirts for which musicians received royalties. Merch. Think of all the band T-shirts we've purchased throughout the years. That's fucking Bill Graham. Revolutionary, dude! Isn't that insane? I have so many shitty band T-shirts from like all the concerts. So many concert, yeah, T-shirts. Insane, but I love them. I love them. You have to get it when you're there. All all my Metro Station T-shirts. Yes, (laughs) 
My totes? <laughs> yes. My recent my recent band teacher is a Dua Lipa. What? Love. Oh, how about my you? God. She's so hot. She's so hot. <laughs> uh, and then when Graham learned a budget cut was about to put an end to all extracurricular activities in San Francisco public schools, he persuaded the city to let him put it on a benefit called SNACK an acronym for San Francisco Needs Athletics, Culture, and Kicks. Wow. How do I join this? Is it still around? I have no idea. But so it ended up being the first big rock benefit concert in history. <gasps> yes. In Here. 1975, 50,000 people filled Keysar Stadium to watch the Grateful Dead. My heart. Oh my Bob God. Bob Dylan, Jeffree Starship, Tower of Power, the Doobie Brothers, Santana, oh. Mimi Farina, and Neil Young. Whoa. Uh, featured speakers at the event included Marlon Brando, Joan Baez, and Willie Mays. <sighs> the concert raised enough money to fund after school programs in SF public schools for another year. Wonderful. Like, Wonderful. who is this guy? Yeah. I wish I, you know, when someone asked me next, who do I want to sit down with and who would it be? Yeah. Bill Graham. Bill fucking Graham, dude. Mr. Wolfgang. Yeah. R.P. You know, it's like, his dead name. Changed? Yeah, it's his dead yeah. name. Exactly. Um, so, and then in 19, so we're on to the 80s now. Uh, he sponsored a rally in Union Square in San Francisco to protest Ronald Reagan's plan to visit a cemetery in Bitburg, Germany, where members of the Waffen-SS, Waffen-SS, had been buried. So the Waffen-SS, which I learned, is not a ship, which I previously thought, which we ship. previously thought. Uh, the Waffen-SS is a group of the fucking Nazis. And so Bill Graham, uh, he was protesting in Union Square to like not have the president go over there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the president, like the president of the U.S. I'm sorry, was going to go fucking visit a Nazi burial ground. Fuck you, Ronald Reagan, for I mean, obviously, so many reasons. <laughs> uh, but so during that protest, the offices of fucking Bill Graham were firebombed and burned to the ground. Oh, and terrible. so like. All of his, like, priceless rock memorabilia. He, like, lost so much of his no. shit in a fire. And oh. those who set fire were never caught. And they were, like, back in business eventually. But, like, his first thing when he, at, like, heard about it was, like, was anyone hurt? Oh. Because he's he the fucking best. Others. Bill Graham, an American hero. Um, So... His friend came up with an idea of putting on a global jukebox with artists in both the U.S. and England performing on television all over the world to raise money to fight a famine in Ethiopia. So fucking Bill Graham produced the American Live Aid concert. <laughs> My mind is blown by this man. At the 100,000 seat John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia. The event raised more than $45 million to fight hunger in Africa and also proved that, as Graham would say later, rock had become, quote, the international means of communication, the single language everyone all over the world now understood. 
uh, for his work on Live Aid, he was given the MTV's Lifetime Achievement <gasps> Award. Yes, MTV. Yeah, yeah. Doing you, something right oh, when it was still music. Exactly, when you cared <laughs> actually about music. <laughs> and next, or was that VH1? Oh, I think that might have been VH1. Aww. Another episode. <laughs> so devoting his time and energy to charity projects no one else could have undertaken, Graham put together a six-city quote, conspiracy of hope tour in the summer of 1986 to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Amnesty International, the human rights organization that was dedicated to stopping violence against women, fighting for free prisoners of conscience, opposing torture and defending refugees and migrants throughout the world. This man. This concert uh, featured you 2 the police, Peter Gabriel, Lou Reed, Brian Adams, the Neville brothers, Joan Baez, and the tour raised $2.5 million for Amnesty USA and brought the organization 150,000 new members. The tour ended with a day-long concert at Giant Stadium in New York, attended by 60,000 people, and it was broadcast live by MTV. Wow. So after presenting the first live rock stadium concert featuring American artists in Russia... Graham put together the Human Rights Now tour in 1988 to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. <laughs> like, who is this guy? Uh, featuring, he, he knows all those holidays. Dude, right? What to celebrate. Yeah. Featuring Yoso Nador, Tra- Tracy Chapman, Peter Gabriel, Sting, and Bruce Springsteen. The tour began in England and continued with concerts in Europe, Costa Rica, Canada, the U.S., Japan, India, Zimbabwe, and the Ivory Coast, Brazil, and Argentina. Uh, the logistics of moving so many musicians around the world in, quote, the greatest ever rock music extravaganza were staggering. But the tour brought Amnesty's message of hope to people in the third world where the organization had been long struggling to achieve its goals. Mm. Despite his obsession to use rock as a force to raise consciousness throughout the world, Graham was still running a company with more than 100 employees, and he suffered a crippling personal breakdown when the Rolling Stones chose someone else to run their 1989 Steel Wheels tour. As only as he could, Graham managed to resurrect himself and organized a 12-hour rock telethon that raised $2 million for the victims of a massive earthquake that had struck the Bay Area. The 1989 earthquake. Loma Prieta. Exactly. A year later, he brought 60,000 people together in the Oakland Coliseum to welcome fucking South Africa's president, Nelson Mandela. Wow! <laughs> Oh my god. Like who is this oh guy? Oh my god. Like revolutionary, like visionary, just like insane. Just creating oh so much. So much. That we now see every day in every, music. Exactly. It's so prevalent. Like he is like paved his fucking the way. legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Like who knew that all of it was fucking Bill Graham? It makes all me, of it. It makes me feel good every time I've gone to a Bill Graham show there yeah show at the bill Graham, like absolutely so historic on friday october 25th 1991 graham was flying home from a huey lewis in the news show <laughs> in the east bay with his companion i don't know why he was flying from the east bay but whatever 
when the helicopter piloted by his longtime associate Steve Kahn was caught in a sudden storm. No. Striking a power line, it exploded. No. Killing all those on board. No. 60 years old, Graham died as he had lived, doing what he loved best. No, but yes. Yeah, right? Poetic, but fucked. What may have been as many as half a million people fill the polo field in Golden Gate Park on November 3rd, 1991, at a free concert in Graham's memory entitled Laughter, Love, and Music. Aaron Neville, Jackson Brown, Zoe... Joe Satriani. Joe Satriani, Carlos Santana, Los Lobos, Robin William, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young, John Fogarty, and the Grateful Dead performed. Joan Baez and Chris Christopherson. (laughs) (laughs) Joan Baez and Chris Christopherson closed the show by singing Amazing Grace. Three months later, he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, as he should be. As he should be. Um, And so that's the story of fucking Bill Graham. Thank you for sharing all that and you know i like i picked this story you know it's the first day of 2023 that's the year right Ooh, 2023. Yep, 2023 and i picked it for two reasons one because there's obviously a rise of neo-nazism uh-huh. and we always got to be remembering the fucked up shit that nazis did yeah, and like it happened. Yeah, it happened. It fucking happened, and it's absolutely disgusting and evil, and it needs to stay on the forefront of our minds that we can't let this happen. Never again, right? Mm-hmm. Never fucking again. And two, with the new year, I just want to remind myself and anyone who listens to this podcast, all nine people. I think we're up from eight to nine, and um, that. You really can make an impact. It doesn't matter where the fuck you started. This fucking poor, literally poor, but also just like emotionally, like this mm-hmm. this traumatized child. Created something. Created something so incredible. And it doesn't matter where we start in life. It just matters what we do with our lives and the time that we have yeah. exactly like there's always room to make impact there's always room to help others we are literally like the you know what i mean like, it could be as small as like smiling at someone or absolutely. literally being like can i help you with that mm-hmm. or like how are you asking them how are you yeah or actually doing something like Helping someone, helping fundraising, an old lady. Yeah, or, fundraising. Helping yeah. an old lady fucking carry your grocery bags. Exactly. Like, there is so much room to help people. There's so much room to make a difference. And what we do with our lives matters. You know, it's not just, sure, it's fun and games, but it's also not. Because <laughs> this fucking kid who started with nothing has absolutely changed the fabric of San Francisco. He's impacted all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. He is the reason that, like, music 
fucking exists. And is what like, it is today. Yeah, a thousand percent. And so I just wanted to remind everyone that, like, what we do matters. Yeah. We have the potential to make so much impact. Make change. Exactly. Positive change. Exactly. So happy 2023. What we do is fucking cool. And we need to be more cognizant of how we can make an impact and help people. Because Bill fucking Graham would have wanted that. Totally. Oh, also something I forgot to mention. He is the reason, like that rally at Union Square to protest Ronald Reagan Uh going to the fucking Nazi burial ground. That's why the menorah lighting happens in Union Square. It's the Bill Graham menorah lighting. Like it's still called that today. Okay. Because he was a fucking survivor of the Nazis. His mom died and fucking, she didn't die. She was murdered in Auschwitz. And like, he's a, he was a proud Jewish boy. And that's why we have the fucking menorah lighting in Union Square. Because that's of, wonderful. Because of fucking Bill Graham. That's wonderful. What didn't he do? I know. I want to deep dive more now. I'm right? going to go down a rabbit hole later. He's incredible. He's fucking incredible. Like, I'm, I'm just so glad you shared this with me because like, we bonded over music yeah. back. Full, yeah. Coming full circle to this podcast, full how we became circle. friends. But yeah. it's music. And it's- music speaks when words fail. And music helps so many people. It really does. And Bill Graham, give that to us. Yes. It's so fucking cool. And I, ah, like, doing the research in this podcast, like, I had no idea. You know, like, I was just curious. Like, I know Bill Graham died in a helicopter crash, but, like, who was he? And, like, who wasn't he? Right? What didn't he do? What couldn't he do? Like, what an incredible, incredible person. And... He deserves all, like, I'm about to, like, donate to his foundation. Like, yes. What, what an honorable charity. I wonder, so he has no family members or anything? I don't think he had kids. No. End of a legacy. End of a fucking legacy. Oh, wait. He had three children. Oh, Including one stepchild. Oh, I wonder who they are. Loving. Who, if uh, you're listening to this and you are uh, Bill Graham's child, um, Let's meet Please for coffee. DM me. <laughs> Do you live in SF? Let's connect. <laughs> uh, but really, uh, if you're Bill Graham's cool. child, your dad's fucking sick. And we love him. Um, okay. Yeah. That's Bill Graham. Thank you so much for listening to me. Thanks, Mon. Thank you for being here. And Happy New Year. I love you. And I love everyone who's listening. And yeah, I don't know. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See you next week. Mm